0: All right gentlemen, let's go to, uh, go to Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Sorry, I got to change this. Looking at the NIV here. Uh, a bond of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you beloved while is making every effort to write you about our common salvation i felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which is once for all handed down to the saints For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long before marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our god into licentiousness and deny our only master and lord jesus christ now i desire to remind you though you know all things once for all that the lord after saving a people out of the land of egypt subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day just as sodom and gomorrah and the cities around them since they in the same way as they indulged in gross immorality and when after strange flesh are exhibited as an An example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge and just pause and praise you that you are God. And we thank you that all things are under your feet. All things are under your sovereign care and your competent rule. No good thing do you withhold from those who walk uprightly, Father.
1: You are good, you are exalted, you are holy, and you are on the throne. Father, if there's anything
0: that we need, you will give it. Because you who did not spare your only Son, but delivered him over for us all, how will you with him not also give us, freely give us all things? And so we thank you, Father, that if God is for us, who can be against us? You haven't spared Christ, and so you won't spare anything that we need. And if we don't have it, Father, then in your good sovereignty, in the mystery of your providence, you've ordained that we don't need it. The speed bumps in our lives are for our good. The difficulties in relationships are for our sanctification the battles that we face father in this cursed world you cause all things to work together for good so let us have a holy zeal and a submission to your sovereignty that we would be acceptable men we would act like men father we know that godliness starts in the morning we know that we're to be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that our toil in the lord is never in vain and so father we ask And I thank you for these brothers, alongside of whom I'm not worthy to serve. Thank you for this food, and would you feed us your word? Would we be better men, men who stand firm in the faith, are strong? In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, gentlemen. There he is. We have new notes this morning. Uh, Pastor Matt's going to uh, be diligent to pass those off to you. And um, we are uh, making an attempt to chit-chat about biblical masculinity. And we started off recognizing that God has created... Lo and behold, two genders. Genesis 127, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we saw that this all begins. Psalm 128. This is what launches us. This is, this is the, one of the man psalms, the family psalms, that says what? Mr. Hayes, Psalm 128, how blessed are all who and walk in his ways. So it's the fear of God. I was looking at this with my kids last night. Uh, we were reading Deuteronomy, and it's interesting that as Moses is just over and over again, he talks a lot about your kids so that your sons and your grandsons will hear these things. That they will hear and learn to Fear of the lord that the fear of the lord is your best accountability partner it's it's where true manliness starts not a capricious slap happy view of god but a but a, a, a fear means a a loving respect an awe and all reverence and this is what sets the man in in his personal walk right his holiness
1: family Work
0: and worship. This is the, according to this psalm and many other passages like we're seeing, uh, like I mentioned in Deuteronomy, the fear of the Lord is what influences all these things. And and really, uh, there's a sense in which you could say this is what moves and graduates a man into manhood. That like the seeker-friendly view of God, that, you know, God's my homeboy. um, And, you know, he's kind of my buddy. Uh, Really, the the Torah and the Old Testament had no real concept of that, that God is high, he's holy, he's exalted, and I have this all-out love for him and diligence and respect and worship. So, moving on from there and thinking about that, uh, we would expect, actually, let me back up a minute, we would expect that since God made men and women in all cultures everywhere that we would observe a difference in gender not only physically but in cultural observation and of course satan is attempting to destroy this in our day we've been seeing this Uh, we utterly reject that Uh, one writer says this quote the concern for being manly far from being a peculiarly modern phenomena an american obsession beget of a frontier past or a cultural quirk that developed in a few pockets of the world has instead been shared by nearly every culture in the world, both past and present. Societies are far, as far-flung as Japan and Mexico, New Guinea and India, Kenya and Spain had, a, had and continue to have a cultural conception of a real man, an ideal to which all males are expected to aspire. That, that's, that's from an unbeliever who even wrote that. Uh, so since the church is charged with making disciples then, Uh, the teaching of Scripture, through the teaching of Scripture, there's a sense in which it's the New Testament church's responsibility to teach on this issue. Just a reminder. Come on in. Uh, Foster and Tennant, and their excellent book, It's Good to Be a Man, Not Unbelievers, they say, quote, churches should be places where effeminate men and boys are nurtured into godly manhood as graces restore their masculine nature. So let me talk for a minute about what effeminate, effeminacy is. Uh, Beta men. You've heard this. This is kind of like a, it's kind of a cheeky saying now, beta men. Uh, According to the word of God, what, what would be an effeminate man? Not culture, but God who made
1: men. We looked last week, at Lone Ranger spirit, right? Lone
0: Ranger, an, an isolationist. If, if you're not sure why that is, see last week's lesson. We talked for an hour about that. That's, that's a feminacy, an abandonment of masculinity. Uh, sort of a subtle form of homosexuality. Homosexuality being the peak of the abandonment of biblical masculinity. What else? Yeah. And, and, and to be fair there, in 1 Corinthians 6, good. Thank you for bringing that up. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Um, that's talking about a, a particular expression of homosexuality. So it's, kind of, it's like you're actually practicing homosexuality. There's different views on that word. Uh, what else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Laziness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Unwilling to lead one's family if they have one. And having a family or not isn't necessarily masculine. Yes. Very good. <coughs> unprotective, uh, which is sort of passive. Little fear of God, a low view of God, which is kind of a boyish view of God. You can say that. A boyish view of God. Or or like the the Sarah Young view of God, the book Jesus Calling. That's like an extreme effeminacy. Um, Where you see there... Uh, notwithstanding maybe good intentions to help people, uh, it's, it's, the, it's, it, it's a very dangerous book because it's, it's a, an extreme violation of bibliology and the doctrine of inspiration and revelation where Jesus' words are framed in, in terms of uh, a 50s-ish year old, very emotional woman. Or, or how, the, how Jesus's words, Jesus is like a 50, 56 year old, uh, emo, hyper emotional woman. It's a boyish view, an effeminate view of God. Uh, refusal to, of accountability and the body of Christ to plug into a local church. A refusal, not like that, that goes back to an isolationist, which is a very boyish, you know, I'm taking my ball and bat and I'm going home. Uh, that's effeminacy. That's Um, lack of control of emotions and passions, All right? Just kind of come unraveled. You come unraveled like a cheap sweater, you know, if someone steps on your toes. Uh, lack of love. Lack of love for people, which typically is fueled underneath by a self-consumption that's a that's a very childish the scriptures portray that as a very childish view. There's more food in there too gentlemen if you need feel free okay, so anyhow uh, we could probably you could you could add to that list so the local church is to be a place where where men who and we all have these traits to one degree or another sometime or another right because of the fall because sin is The flesh wants to pull us away from true masculinity, either on like an extreme cultural expression or an extreme effeminacy. Right? I saw in uh, Alex Honhold's uh, interview, you guys know Alex Honhold is, the guy who free-sowed El Cap. Uh, He said, I'm, I'm a devout atheist and a feminist. So even a guy who can climb El Capitan without ropes is effeminate right, unfortunately. So the, the local church um, is to be a place, Foster and tenant argue, where we, we, we grow out of, men grow out of these effeminate characteristics. You got something, Phil, you, you need to add? Okay. look like you had that look on your face. Like, <laughs> something else needs to be said about that. Um, feel free, obviously. So the local church In uh, their excellent book, I think I recommended it at the beginning of the study back in the fall, is to be a place, quote, churches should be places where effeminate men and boys are nurtured into godly manhood as grace restores their masculine natures. Uh, Also, we would refer back to that, to the isolationist study, helping us not be glass jaw Joe and instead become take a hit Tom, right? Maturing out of all that. See last week's Message on that. Probably one of the more important aspects of masculinity that we studied last week. All right. Guns. That woke you up. Guns. Uh, A gun is a device or a ranged weapon designed to throw a projectile using pressure or explosives. Uh, Probably invented. correct me if I'm wrong, a resident historian, maybe around the ninth-ish century, a very primitive form, around the time when gunpowder was also invented. Some historians argue it could have been way earlier than that. Most of the data shows around the ninth century. Now, one survey reports that one-third of men in the United States own firearms, or a firearm, one-third. It's probably a little higher than that, Probably others didn't want to admit it on the survey. I don't know if I would want to. Um, there's no inherent masculinity attributed to firearms. Uh, Adam in the garden didn't have a 300 Win Mag. Uh, Moses didn't have an AR-15. Um, and yet these were men who, by God's grace, were nevertheless able to fulfill God's call for masculinity. Um, Having said that, there's something interesting about this, uh, this device and culture. Men have a palate for firearms. Why is that? Uh, it, not only as some of the effeminate agenda and effeminate side of culture would want to say, well, because, uh, you know, middle class white men want to murder and they're racist and they're violent and they want to create mayhem. No, we, we reject that. Uh, The data doesn't show that, both from special revelation nor from general revelation. Um, Such people do exist, but it's very rare. Uh, It's interesting, our nation's founding fathers, many of whom were regenerate or very respectable, upright men, men who are galaxies beyond many men in our day, galaxies. um, That when they created our kingdom of man doctrinal statement, which is what? Our constitution and the amendments. Our kingdom of man doctrinal statement. They confessionally made a statement of necessity about firearms. Very smart and theological men. A well-regulated militia being necessary to... Security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Why is that? What's going on there? What's going on with these guys? A well-regulated militia. That word militia is very important. Go ahead, sorry, Richard. exactly there's no benign or all benevolent government because there's no undepraved human and you collect them and start giving them some power and interesting things happen okay now that's an entire subject in itself Um, did these men put doctrinally a confession it is a confession uh, this statement that uh, a well-regulated militia, ne- necessary to security of a free state, the right for the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. They put that in there because they're, they were violent uh, colonialists who wanted to create mayhem and just murder people indiscriminately. No, that's not the reason they did that. Uh, again, many, many of the, uh, of the men were regenerate. They did not have a passion for anarchy or unrestrained violence. Many of these were regenerate men or restrained by a cultural fear of God and formed by salt and light around them um, and had some form of fear of God and therefore a love for one another and therefore a concern for truth and righteousness, which prevents a lust for mayhem and anarchy and violence. So there needs to be another reason why. How many men put together the Constitution and the amendments? Talk to me, Ian. It was a lot. <laughs> Somebody find out that number, please, will you? If you don't have a flip phone, you're exempt from that assignment. Excuse me, if you have a flip 53? Okay. All right, we'll, we'll roll with that. Roland's our our resident owl. 70, all right. 53 rounds up to 70, right? The guys in the live stream are laughing at us. Um, It is not because these men had an affinity for anarchy. There's a theological reason why men both like firearms and confessionally said what they said in the Second Amendment. And I challenge you, I challenge you to show me a nation uh, that deviated from the Second Amendment and deviated from an attempt at free marketness, free marketedness therein. I challenge you to show me the combination of this thing that as it deviated from those things that, and therefore produced a society where there was freedom and a level, some level of peace. You will not find it. And, and a lack of theft, either governmentally or personally. There's a righteous and God-glorifying reason why men often like firearms and why the Second Amendment was put in there. Genesis 1, 28. turn there, please. And then we'll look at Genesis 2 right after that. Uh, Jack, you got Genesis one twenty eight for us, brother. Please, thank you. Subdue and exercise dominion, dominate. We looked at that word many months ago with two fifteen. Would someone read two fifteen, uh, Mister Marsh? You got that two fifteen. Uh, what translation is that? Okay. Does anyone have like the legacy or the NASB or ESV? Go ahead. Okay. To cultivate, keep, we saw subdue, right? Exercise, dominion. These are, these are expressions of controlling. And when you bring in the curse, these things are extra important. We did a whole study on subdue, keep, cultivate. Firearms do things like hunt, subdue, control. Uh, These are major expressions of subduing and exercise dominion. It's hardwired. And you don't have to like guns or like hunting to be masculine, but enjoying doing so comes from God's created and commanded order for masculinity. Uh, another reason why it comes from this protect. Protection. Part of being a man, fearing the Lord, all the way back here at Psalm one twenty eight, he he invites and desperately wants God's blessing on his personal walk, holy, uh, holiness, family, the corporate community. Uh, Psalm 128 says, may, may Yahweh bless Israel. Part of the reason men are drawn to firearms is because they are hardwired from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to cultivate, keep, subdue, exercise dominion, which works out in protection. Protection. This this knee jerk reaction in men to carry comes from a a God, the God of the Bible, hardwiring them to do these things. Protection. Men are to be protectors and defenders. A desire and enjoying of firearms flows out of that. It's one, not the only. It's one application some men might express this and and you know praying or just watching out for others having a love without far there's all kinds of ways so please don't say well eric said if you don't like you know if you don't carry a 10 millimeter you're not masculine okay, i'm not saying that i'm saying this this instinct to cultivate keep subdue exercise dominion to want protection and god's blessings over these realms and the fear of the Lord results in, I have a sense of protection. And if you don't, as someone rightly said over here, you're, you're abandoning masculinity and drifting into an effeminacy. An effeminate
1: characteristic. Men as
0: protectors. That's, that's this brief lesson we're attempting to look into. I, I was reading a david gilmore uh he wrote he's i think he's pretty sure he's an unbeliever but an astute uh observant uh, uh, early observer of history and masculinity in his book man in the making he says this quote this men as protectors must show a public demonstration of positive choice of jubilation even in pain for it represents a moral commitment to defend the society and its core values against all odds so manhood is the defeat of childish narcissism that is not only different from the adult role, but antithetical to it. That's good. That's a good quote. That's, God's given that guy a lot of natural light. A lot of natural light. Uh, similarly, Teddy Roosevelt. I like Teddy Roosevelt. I think you should like him too, if you don't already. Uh, certainly not a perfect man, uh, but a fine chap. Nevertheless, and would to God we'd have more men and more politicians like him. Would to God that we would. Uh, Colonel of the Rough Riders back in the day. Some of us have family who are in the Rough Riders. Uh, our nation's 26th president. A distinguished outdoorsman. Um, of the Bible, uh, Teddy, I don't know if he was regenerate. But he's about, if he wasn't, he was about as good as you can get without being an unregenerate, even, even more so. Of the Bible, I thought it was interesting. TR said this, quote, almost every man who has by his life work added to the sum of human achievement of which the race is proud has based his life work largely upon what's going to follow there. That's interesting. Teddy, he read, what do, you, what do you read, Matt? A book a day, a book before breakfast, typically? That's, that was said of him. And he grew up a very sickly little kid and, and just fought the curse and strove in natural grace for some, a godly masculinity. So, and almost every man who is added to the sum of human, human achievement, of, of which our race is proud, has based his life work largely upon the teachings of the Bible. Teddy said that. Among the greatest men, a disproportionately large number have been diligent and close students of the Bible at first hand. End quote. I like that quote. I like Teddy. You should like him too. Men as protectors. Roosevelt, he began his college career at Harvard September 1876. And as a young chap, he was uh, he was teaching Sunday school one morning. Have you heard this story? He was teaching Sunday school at a church, Christ Church, it was called, at Harvard. And, um, and, a, and a young boy came into Sunday school one day, and he had, you know, he had like double raccoon face going on, not from skiing, uh, from fighting, black eyes. And uh, he says to, to little Johnny there, he says, Have you heard this story? He goes, hey, Johnny, what, uh, what befell you there? He said, well, well, Mr. Roosevelt. He said, some kids uh, on the street were picking on my sister. And so I jumped them, And it was me against, you know, multiple. And, uh, and the future president informed the boy, he said, you had done right. You did a good thing. And he gave him a dollar. He handed him a dollar in front of the Sunday school class. In 1876, one dollar is about $35 right now. Uh, That's a chunk of change. And subsequently, Teddy Roosevelt, by these effeminate men at this church, they ejected him. And that was his last day teaching Sunday school at Christ Church. Shame on them. I bet uh, maybe 25. About 30 30 to 35 years after that, they didn't feel good about that. Anyhow, just a a little illustration of men as protectors. All right, theologically, all that by way of introduction. Number one, men as spiritual protectors. This is where it all begins. Men as spiritual protectors. Bodily discipline is of some profit, But godliness is of eternal profit. Spiritual protectors. Are you a spiritual protector? This is a masculine trait and part of masculinity. General scriptural observation. Joshua is told, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Notice it in a command to be very strong and courageous there is, what does that look like? Observing all of the Bible. That's all he had at that time. Don't turn to the the right or to the left of it so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on the alert. Stand from the faith, act like men, be strong. And 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober of spirit. Be on the alert because your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Are you aware of that? Are you thinking about that? In your day-to-day, getting up, walking along the way, that the devil is constantly prowling around and he never fatigues. And he's always studying you and others in human nature to, if not subtly, imperceptibly, or aggressively, deceive,
1: distort, destroy, discourage, and depress. Are you a
0: spiritual protector, gentlemen? How do you and I need to grow as spiritual protectors? Spiritual protection over, over one's own life? We're to protect our own heart. Proverbs 4:23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What does it mean to protect your heart?
1: Talk to me, gentlemen.
0: Okay, good. What else? Colby, Phil, what, what, what does this mean to protect your own heart? Exactly, yeah. Understand the weak spots, right? If you're not Jesus, you have them. Understand the places where Satan would like to, well, it, I'm under grace here. I could just budge a little bit here, no big deal. Compromises of conscience. Where are you susceptible? Does Satan want you to make this? I need such and such. Things would be better if spiritual protection over your own heart, protection over one's holiness and conduct and doctrine. First Timothy 4:15, "Take pains of these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. In other words, taking pain in sanctification is what is necessary to ensure an observable sanctification. And verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching persevere in these things for as you do this you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you you need to be a spiritual protector over your over the lusts of your heart ways you're tempted to be drawn away into effeminacy or pride same thing and over your doctrine you need to be a protector over the rebellious nature of your heart everybody has a rebelliousness I, I like to be the devil's advocate well, why do you like to be an advocate of satan or i, I i'm kind of my own man i'm kind of a skeptic. whatever it might be for you we all have these things i have them you need to be a like a, a a a centurion a knight like a citadel against these things because as you do i mean that that's a that's a fantastic promise in verse 16 you will ensure salvation for yourself. In other words, you won't fall away. And for those in your your sphere of influence. This does good not only for you, but those you influence. And if you're alive, you have people you influence or you're called to be. This is another masculine trait. You're an influencer. It's not a matter of if you are, but how are you doing? 1 Timothy 4.16 is a helpful guide in that. Spiritual protector, gentlemen. Well, I, I don't see, you, don't, don't think, well, I, I don't see the ways in which my influence is having a godly effect. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. It takes seven years for an almond tree to have one almond. Almond form, farmer told me this. Outside of Chico, California once. Seven years. It's like 15 years, 15 years before a grapevine produces mature grapes and like 30 before they're, you know, vintage and the good stuff. Wait on the Lord, be an influencer, be masculine gentlemen, a protector that we guard our hearts, that we would have a good positive influence. So according to verse 15 and 16, their sanctification is the key to protection. Also protection for becoming a wolf in the church. This is sort of a startling verse. Look there, Acts 20, 28. Be on guard, Paul says, for yourselves. And for all the flock, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Verse 29, look there. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Every man has the potential to
1: become a wolf. every man.
0: Every single guy has a little bit of the, the seeds in him to flourish into a, a full-fledged wolf. Paul's speaking to mature guys from the church of Ephesus. So we've got to guard ourselves. When it comes to spiritual protection, we've got to be- begin with our own heart. Because a wolf outwardly always starts with a wolf in- inwardly, where little compromises of conscience are made, and rebelliousness, bucking things because i don't really like not because i'm really like curious and about this issue but because i I don't like i don't like people to tell me what to believe or do or whatever we got to crucify those things gentlemen crucify those things i need to crucify those things by more than anybody we all have the potential to become a wolf that's just helpful for me to to say that to myself now and then if I am not absolutely crucifying these little proud, effeminate, rebellious manifestations in my heart, if I don't crucify them, I could become a wolf that tears apart the church that Jesus shed his blood for and that draws away disciples that Christ died for. Let that never be said about any of us. Amen? Protection also by absorbing and treasuring much scripture. Thankfully, God gives us the means to protect our own hearts and others. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by keeping according to your word. That's helpful. That's just a straightforward. How can I keep myself pure, not just sexually, but against impure, proud thoughts? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So pack, pack a lot of scripture into your heart to start purging out other things. Wolfishness, effeminacy, pride, compromises in conscience. Just stuff scripture in there. Spiritual protection of one's own family, furthermore. That's an area in which we need to be protectors. If you have a family, if God's given you one at this point in life. Letter C, spiritual protection of one's family. Oh, brothers, we are to be, we're we're to be guards. Guards of your family. In Hebrew thinking and in the Proverbs, the fool, the fool was the guy who was kind of gullible
1: And he was the one
0: who had an open mind. Isn't that interesting? The fool, the gullible fool in the book of of Proverbs and in Hebrew thinking was the one, his brain was like an open door. Oh, I'm open-minded. There's some things we should not be open-minded to. And that's unbiblical ideas. And that manifests externally as we guard our family. Spiritual care for one's own wife, A protector of our own wives, by prayer, leading by example, shepherding, involving them in a in a local church. Where do you get that? uh, Ephesians five: husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. We're to be spiritual protectors of our wives. What is your wife believing about doctrine? Do you know? Are you helping her shut the door against unbiblical, worldly thinking that women are bombarded by these days? The the feminist movement is like in its 85th tier right now. Broods of vipers have been bred and, and multiplied, running everywhere. It is fundamentally an anti-God, anti-Jesus movement. Are you helping your wife protect her thoughts? Husbands, in the same way, live with their wives in an understanding way. With someone weaker, since she's a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Not just pounding her, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you? But skill, prayer, discussions. Patience and even more patience. We need to be concerned for what she's exposed to. She, she doesn't have the same, like, women are different physically, right? And we thank God for that. We're grateful women don't have beards and don't look like men. Praise God for that. I, I'm extremely grateful for that. But also, they're, the way in which they're a woman is expressed, like, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, Mentally. And so we need to thank God for that too and kind of navigate that. And it's very difficult, at least it is for me. And be concerned for what a husband involves her wife in, ensuring that she's surrounded by a godly influence, not just you. What women does she hang out with? You have to be very careful. As a weaker vessel, the potential for to go in in an unhelpful direction is significant. Go ahead, Roland. Yeah, very good. Thanks for bringing up Genesis three. Talk about that. Right, lay his life down for her. Like, get out of here, you serpent! And you know he didn't have an AR. If he did, shoot it up, or a rock smash its head. What are you doing? Why is a serpent talking? For one, kill that thing. You know, you ever see a talking snake? Kill it. You know, that's a godly thing to do. All right? right, uh, Second, Eric 3.16. Uh, but yeah, but, and, but what's interesting about that is Paul picks that up later in 1 Timothy uh, 2, right? Where he talks about the, the how important and how dignifying it is for women to be modest in dress. We should probably do a whole lesson on that. Masculinity and, and having a view of that and shepherding our wives and that modesty and dress, and then talking about how, well, it was Eve who was deceived. And a lot of people cry foul, oh, Paul was such a misogynist to say that Eve was deceived and she fell first and blah, blah, blah. But something they forget. Go to Genesis 3. Yeah. Yeah, go look at Genesis 3 real quick. Oh, Paul's beating up on Eve and he hates her and he hates women and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, sorry. Let's see what your mom actually said.
1: Um, Verse 13. Uh, Mr. Stanley, would you read that?
0: She said it, right? This thing that Paul gets hammered by with commentators and others, Eve Eve said it. He just quotes what Eve said. I was deceived. Okay, so as you helpfully bring up, Roland, we have to have a concern. We can be deceived too. It's not saying that. But, uh, you know, concern for her different female emotional constitution, part of her God-given femininity, which glorifies God. Sometimes it frustrates us. Uh, we're to be skillful as spiritual protectors of that and just pray that God would give us wisdom to handle that right and sometimes you just you don't know what to say you just let time and patience and prayer okay why is she crying I don't know why she's crying why why are you crying I have no idea why you're crying right now I've thought that before you know and struggled with it some of you men you've arrived you've never struggled with that praise God write a book um, I haven't. I, I got I got galaxies of growth in that area. Um also our, our our children. Um teaching our children about moral dangers. This is what this is what basically all of Proverbs is about. Big picture. Teaching the next generation about moral dangers. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. He's he's not saying, Well, just Put your child, send your child out like a like a short-barreled, you know, like a two-inch-barreled pistol. Just send them out that way. You know, no, send them out like a super, super, super long rifle barrel. Send them in the right direction.
1: Why do rifles have long barrels? To do what?
0: Greater precision, right? Greater precision. That's what the book of Proverbs is. It's a long rifle barrel. Greater precision to send the kids in a right moral direction. Why? Because they need protection. Protection from their own heart, protection from the things that, 1 John 2.15, from the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and
1: boastful pride of life. Protect your children, gentlemen. We get one shot at it.
0: No, don't make them emotional cripples. Do not make them emotional cripples, but protect them spiritually and morally. It's interesting to note that in Judges, the constant refrain is that the generation that came after did not know that the deeds of the Lord ah, and then Yes. They wandered after other
1: gods. Good point. So,
0: they did it right in their own eyes. That was the product of not being skillfully reared in, in the Torah, right? Exactly. Yeah, judges, very good observation, Phil. Thank you. Judges is in the Bible in part to show us what happens when you're not diligent and zealous to rifle your kids in the word of God and set up barriers and protect them without producing moral cripples
1: and unnecessary weirdness. I don't want to do that either.
0: Teaching children how to find a New Testament local church. Uh, I think this is one of the most important things that, uh, that I can do as a dad. Teach them for, for when they're gone. That's what I want. I, I want this stuff to be with them when they're gone. See, right? when, when they're with me, they're under the spiritual protection. There's a lot of barriers that are going to fall when they leave, we want them to leave. We want them to go and and be independent contributors to the kingdom of God. Amen. And so we want to teach them what to do when they leave, how to find a good church. You know, there's a couple things. God's given me three daughters. I, I thought I have boys. I don't know. You know, I, I'm not a girl. I didn't like girls when I was little, but there's a couple things I want my girls to know how to do. To know how to get out of being pinned down by a man that's 60 pounds heavier than them how to throw a punch, use a firearm, field dress an animal, barbecue, handle money, fear God, know where stuff is in the Bible, choose a husband, and find a New Testament church. Not many things, but those things to me are critical in this world. And for me, as God has called me, a wretched sinner, to be a protector of my home. I see those things as essential. They can find a spiritual greenhouse that way when they leave the home teaching children how to find a spouse. You get it. Um, Five minutes here, brothers. Thank you for your forbearance. Also, we need to think about ourselves as spiritual protectors of the local church. Spiritual protectors of the local church. This isn't just for the elders because this isn't just an elder trait. It's a masculine trait. Therefore, it's up to the men to all contribute to this. That we're protectors of doctrine. We read this in Jude. Been reading that the last few weeks here. Fight for the faith. Jude 3, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing. It's a strong, urging term. Begging you, he says, to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. That's a bibliology statement. We have the Bible, it's fixed. Don't add to it, don't change it. It's handed to you. Contend earnestly. What do you think of? um jack what do you think of when you when you hear that phrase contend earnestly contend earnestly what, what kind of images words is that put in your mind
1: yeah good
0: yeah yeah good what else Yeah, fighting, defend. Defend. (laughs) Phil brings up Nate Diaz, (laughs) good stuff. Taking blows to the face. Yeah, you might get blood on you and and you might have blood on you that's someone else's blood, right? Yeah, to, 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 to fight, to defend, not sinning, right? Loving people in the spirit, but nevertheless defending it. Recall the context, Jude writes to warn believers about disruptive people in the flock. He's not talking about just this is on paper, but actually people coming into the flock and like starting, you know, Bible studies about unhelpful, unsound doctrine on the side, uh, taking people away. Factions, gossip, slander, uh, that word contend earnestly, it has the idea of to uh, in the Greek, to exert intense effort on behalf of something to struggle for. So we're to protect that. We're to protect doctrinal purity as well. 2 Timothy 1 3, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, verse 14, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard. What does that look like? Um, uh, Brother Todd, uh, when you think of, like, how would that command look? What's one way that that would look like in the church? Guard. Guard these the, the treasure. Sound doctrine.
1: Yeah, good. Okay.
0: And then moving outwardly, what would that look like? Okay, Okay. good. What about if you're, you know, you're in a GC or a conversation with someone who's um, more than just asking questions, but kind of trying to interject um, unhelpful thinking, kind of in a, a confidence. What would it look like to, to obey that command, guard? What would that look like with such a person? Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, just, just straight up having a, a loving but direct conversation, right? Yeah. Um, next, masculinity involves correcting and rebuking error, Titus nine tells us. Masculinity involves correcting and rebuking error. Oh, how we need to see that in our day where it's just, where like the motto is just make everyone comfortable. Well, yeah, that's part of it. We want people to be encouraged and be loved. But one of the elder qualifications is this, Titus nine, and, and, and elder qualifications are just every, something every man should strive for. Titus nine in your notes, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. In other words, believing sound doctrine with conviction is what that means. So that he will be able to both exhort, teach, in sound doctrine, and refute those who contradict.
1: What does refute mean?
0: Yeah, and show them why, right? To, to be able to see, like, like, have a grid for understanding true doctrine, see the falseness come in and be able to show them in love and in skill, here's, here's why you're wrong. Right? 100%. Yeah, 100% Roland. Yeah, exactly. It's critical, being able to show error, right? Because evangelism and loving someone enough to discuss the faith involves at least embracing a body of belief, embracing doctrine, which fundamentally means rejecting contrary doctrine. And so this is essential to do this. Uh, protection from the doctrinal and moral pure, protection protection of the doctrinal and moral purity in the local church so that we honor Christ and his word and belief and behavior. And we're out of time so we'll pick up there next time. Uh, Brett, would you close us in prayer? Thanks. God, thanks for this morning.
1: For your word. Word <laughs> Uh, to us today for so uh, to be the student you just give us opportunities this day to be bold and uh would like
0: thanks guys good to see ya